As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standard Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standick, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic, which means I am already in Phoenix, Arizona to attend, to cover, I should say, the NFL owners' meetings, which will take place uh, really Monday, Tuesday, but people will be here on Sunday as well. And, of course, we know what that means for the Washington Commanders. What's gonna, will there be any information out about Dan Snyder and the ownership situation? I'm going to share with you what I know as of right now, as well as what to expect this week. In addition to that, we'll talk some football. Seth Walder, one of the big analytics honchos for ESPN, joined me the other day to talk about Washington's offseason. Uh, Jacoby Brissett and Sam Howell. Uh, what did he think of that Duran Payne deal? Expectations for Chase Young. Offensive line play. How how does um, how does that get measured? We also talked about the commanders and an impression of how they use analytics, as well as what's next to come in the world of football analytics. Really insightful conversation there. We'll get to that in a moment here on the Standard Room Only podcast, which, of course, you can find on Spotify, iTunes, or anywhere you do your podcasting. Hit the subscribe button um, and check and, and uh, make sure you don't miss an episode. Uh, by the way, last week we had some other great episodes as well. Uh, Eben Novi Williams and John Orand. Uh, Eben Novi Williams from Sportico, John Orand, Sports Business Journal, joined me to discuss the ownership as well as the business of the commanders. And then I also had a really great conversation with Grant Paulson from 1067 The Fan, a lot of ownership stuff as well, but more from like the you know on the on the local level here, but we also got into the football team and I shared with Grant my idea of the commanders possibly going rogue at 16 and taking the defensive end and why I laid that out, that it's not as crazy as it sounds. So make sure to check all that out as well as check out the work, uh, uh, my written work on The Athletic. Um, Obviously, we'll have a lot more coming up this week. And right now there's a deal, subscribe for $1 a month for 12 months. Uh, go click on any of my articles, whether it's the mock draft um, I put up the other day um, or not. Or just one of the one of those articles, and you'll get that deal, and it helps my cause as well. All right, um, let's get to this. Before we get to my conversation with Seth 
Walder. I wanted to, um, like I guess I just kind of share with you where we're at. Um, I, I'm not going to get crazy here and tell you, you know, there's going to be something definitive happening as so many people did last week, right? I mean, <clears throat> I guess if technically there's news today, meaning Sunday, all the people who said that there would be, you know, the week, we'd, we'd have an answer by this week or this past week would, would be would be accurate. But, you know, the truth of the matter is that the amount of people that really know what's going on, and this is one of those deals where if I say I can count the number of people who know what's going on on one hand, it's probably a fair fair to say. Um, and that's, of course, Dan and Tanya Snyder, uh, whoever it is that is uh, in the mix for uh, to, to, to bid on the team and then, like, you know, a personal lawyer or, or, or two. There's really not that many people who know what is happening, and that's why it's been so challenging to get any kind of information on this situation. But what we can tell you at this point is this. Um, my colleague Dan Kaplan at The Athletic reported the other day that um, the the commander's sale is not on the ownership agenda, meaning and not just the sale, I guess Dan Snyder in general is not on the agenda, on the formal agenda that is. So that means there's not there nobody's prepared to take a vote on whether to kick Snyder out. I don't think that's shocking news at this point. They prefer. We, we know they don't want to take the vote. They don't want to set a precedent for kicking out one of their own. So they're they're hoping this will get settled. And, you know, obviously everybody, I think, would want this to get settled soon. I think, as best I can tell, that it is heading in a direction where things will be settled, quote-unquote, soon. I can't tell you if soon means tomorrow the day after that, the day after that, a week after that, three weeks after that. But I don't. I I, I think things continue to progress in the in the in the right direction towards a sale. Um, but how quickly it's going to get done, that part is unclear. So I don't want to. Again, I'm not telling you it's on the goal line, or I'm not telling you we're we're, we're you know we're, we're almost to the finish line or whatever it might be. I'm just saying that from my understanding, things continue to progress. Now here's the other thing though. Um, you know, Josh Harris, his group, um, which is now includes Magic Johnson, has been considered to be the lead uh, on this. I, I think that would be if you if you were like a Vegas putting up odds, right? I think that would they would still be the odds-on favorite, um, but I don't think they are alone at this point in terms of trying to uh, trying to uh, purchase the team. I do think there's still multiple bidders, and there may be even um, you, know, you know another bidder to come. We'll see. How that unfolds? Um, could that other bidder be Jeff Bezos? Perhaps we're still been waiting for something definitive on him. As I've said to you guys throughout all this, I, I, it has felt like a lot of the Bezos talk has been wishing more than reality. Wishing just because of obviously his status as you know one of the you know, richest people in the world, um, primarily. So um, I don't, I still don't have anything definitive on whether Jeff Bezos is really in this. To win this, but I, I still would not be surprised at this point if there is another group um, that um, looks at, looks at the team. That's why it's hard to know exactly where this is going for sure. Um, other than that, you know, like I said, I'm not anticipating to get any news this week. I guess the one thing would be, you know, is there another wild card like a Jim Ursay speaking up? You know, is there an, uh, another owner, maybe Ursay himself? sharing their thoughts about what goes on in these private meetings or, or share or I, I guess those share their thoughts about what they what they view of this or, or, or let us in a little bit into what goes on 
with these uh, meetings, what what was in the discussion. I do think um, that uh, you know I do think there there will be obviously a ton of chatter about this, but whether we get any news here in Phoenix, that part I don't feel particularly confident about. But at the same point, um, you know I, I still think it is heading in the direction of a sale, but we're going to have to just wait and see when that is. I'm making no promises. I'm not telling you anything about this week, um, but I don't anticipate there being any um, real hardcore news on this, again, unless there's somebody that goes rogue and speaks up on the topic. Um, And it is, you know, it is just wild. Like, this is the topic. It, it, It is still hard to process that we may be at a point where Dan Snyder is no longer the owner of the Commanders. Um, and obviously, what should, you know, should or whenever that were to happen, how quickly we would be talking about um, different different topics. Obviously, the football situation would still be ongoing, getting ready for the upcoming season. But, you know, we're back. The stadium is now, again, a major topic you know, moving forward now with D.C., Maryland, and Virginia into what capacity there. I know so many of you out there really want a na- another name change. I- I'm not personally that thrilled about going through that process again. Um, a-, a fourth name in, you know, a short amount of time is kind of insane. And I- I've always, look, I've never been the biggest Commanders fan. But at the same time, I, I, you know, I think a lot of it is just like uh, the-, the-, the tax. Uh, it- it's almost guilt by association. Uh, to a degree. I, I know there's a fact that would never be happy with any name that wasn't the Redskins. I totally get that. But, you know, any name this organization was going to come up with, I don't think anybody would have liked. Commanders is what it is. Again, it's not my favorite name. Uh, there's other options I would have rather have gone with. Um, kind of like Sentinels at the time. <laughs> I know a lot of you like Red Wolves, you know, whatever. But, like, um, you know, I, I, I don't But whatever. That's, that's just my view. I don't know what a new owner would think. Maybe they think, hey, we do want to rebrand his whole thing, and then of course there's you know the coach front office are those cha- are there changes coming there immediately? I, w- I wouldn't think so, but you never know. Um, are there changes? You know what are they looking for going forward? Whether it is with the current staff or others, how do they put their imprint on this? Seth and I talked about this a little bit actually in terms of like the analytics department, um, and I don't want to I don't want to step on that conversation too much, but you know everything down going down the line, it, it, you know, the owner is going to help dictate what happens there. Uh, so, I, you know, keep that in mind as we uh, go through this process for sure. Um, in terms of the football stuff, um, you know, there hasn't been obviously a ton to discuss of late after a busy first week. Uh, you know, a couple things last week, Cam Sims moved on. Um, but, you know, the, the, they've been relatively quiet. They did add a new offensive lineman, Trent Scott, um, who has bounced around a little bit. He looks like he's a guy that you know, could be in the mix to be the fourth offensive tackle, a backup guard. Um, so well, well, he's a, he's another depth piece. I, I could argue they still need another starter, but they may not agree with that. And that's, of course, we'll get more into that when we get closer to the draft. All right, um, let's get to it. Here is my conversation with Seth Walder. ESPN analytics. By the way, I'll just say that, you know, if there's news to be had, or concrete news here, I will put up another podcast uh, for sure. Uh, and I may say, I may, I'm going to try to do one probably every day while I'm out here. But uh, for right now, I wanted to get you guys going with something here. Um, and it's going to be mostly about football. 
What a, what a world. Uh, so here we go. My conversation with Seth Walder here on the Standard Room Only podcast. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right. Um, you know what? Let, let's put the owner stuff aside for a moment. Let's get back to the actual football of things. And let's talk to somebody who's going to get us smarter about what we're thinking with regards to the Washington Commanders. He is Seth Walder, sports analytics writer. For ESPN at Seth Walder, W A L D E R. All the fancy stats on ESPN that you check out all the time. This guy is the guy. He, he he's not just the guy behind the guy. He is the guy doing all the stuff. Seth, thanks for uh, for your time. Thanks, I appreciate it. Happy to be here. I'm the guy showing you the stuff, but we got tons of guys, tons of folks on our team who are doing all the all the fancy making of the stats. You know. <laughs> Yeah, well, you guys have a, you guys have a lot of people uh, on that side, and I definitely always appreciate it during the season. You guys have the different, you know, there's always certain stats, you know, whether it's QBR that you guys have or other variations of that, but you guys are, are, have a lot of different unique stuff, with, especially like offensive line rankings. And I know last year you came up with a, a way to get a better gauge of wide receiver. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, actually that – I, right before we started, I told you I was going to start with something. Now I'm going to audible off of that. To, to go <laughs> go to this. for it. Like, obviously, part of analytics is it's never – it's not that it's not settled, but you're always looking for new ways to better explain what is happening. What do you think was sort of the best evolution in the analytics world last year that, that you kind of noticed? And then, like, maybe, like, what's the next thing for, for the community to sort of kind of figure out to, to help, you know, give more information? Ooh, in the last year. So I do think, I mean, I'm I'm extremely biased. Uh, I do tend to think that all the great the work that's coming out uh, that's using player tracking based data is where like the real evolution is happening. And so you mentioned our receiver metrics uh, that my coworker, Brian Burke created. And to me, that is kind of like the, the next thing. I mean, that's what we've been working on for the past few years is different, different metrics that handle different positions. And to me, that was a huge step. Like, I think we've always, as soon as I started working with player tracking data, I was able to see that separation was not what we thought it was. Like, if you talk about receiver and I say, how what, what kind of separation do they get? Well, separation in and of itself just doesn't mean a lot without any uh, other things. Like if I'm running a go route and you're the DB and I have one yard of separation, am I open or not? And I can't answer that question without other factors. If you are in front of me and you are running faster than me, then no, I'm not open, even though I have a, a yard. But if I'm a yard past you and I'm moving faster than you, I'm wide open. And so uh, measuring, and, and even, even if we didn't look at a specific play, just in general, if you look at separation, Factors like were you in the slot? How close are you to the sideline? What you know? What's the down and distance? How close are you to the sticks? All those factors matter. And so what Brian was able to do is say we're not trying to figure out who gets the most separation. We're trying to figure out who gets open. And so that's what that's what the open score part of those receiver tracking metrics do. And to me, that was a big step 
in, in quantifying receivers. You said what's next? I think, you know, I mean, the logical next step is DBs. It's not as simple as just flipping it around. I mean, uh, I, I feel like we have DB metrics. We'll probably talk about them today, uh, but they're they're sort of like more basic stats determined what, based on whether they're the nearest defender, which I think tells us definitely some information. It just doesn't totally answer the question that we're all trying to answer. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that football – there's a lot of reasons why football is very popular. I always think one of them is that unlike say basketball where you're watching the entire action in front of you on television in football, half the action is happening. You can't even see it. And you know, most people are not going to go back and watch the all 22. And even if you are, you really can't sit there and watch everything because it's, you know, in any real way, you would be there for forever. And that's why the data comes in. To, and, and I think that unknown is one of the things that makes the NFL popular. Somebody is explaining to you why. I mean, I, I, it drives me crazy when we call coaches or others geniuses, but to the end, because they're doing something that you can't easily see, it does make it feel like they are. There's an extra level of smart happening there, and I do think this is, these numbers do help give us more information to to show. Okay, here's what's what you're missing, or if you just see a highlight, what you're not getting just just off of that, I guess. And the other reason why I love it is because. Uh, in football, we don't agree on who's good. I mean, we don't like, I think we have some, we have some level of agreement, but especially at, you know, other positions, you know, like non-quarterback positions, non-receiver positions, something like that. We don't agree on who is a good player and who is not a good player, which is really fun. And that's, that's why I like it. I like trying to solve that problem and, and using data to help us get closer to that answer to me is enjoyable. Um, before we get into your data and talk about Washington, let me ask you this. As I, I told you when we started, as I was pulling up your Twitter handle, uh, your Twitter account, your pin tweet is about, you did this last year, you do it every year, but you, the last one you did was last year, is how each team staffs their analytics department. And I guess have some degree of like, you know, what that means. So Washington, as, as of last year, had one person in that role. Um, it's, it, it, it's great if you tell us about analytics. The question is, what are they thinking? What are they doing? What is your sense of Washington's analytics department, how they use analytics versus uh, other teams in the league? I think uh, I'll say it's been a while since I've checked in on Washington. So it's conceivable that they have hired someone between now and then. To me, I don't think that I don't think that staffing can tell you everything, but it's a pretty big clue. If at this stage in 2023, you have just one staffer, again, let's work under the assumption they're still in the same situation they were last June when I kind of took a look at this. Uh, that's a that's a red flag as far as I'm concerned. And I don't think I'm the only one that thinks that. I do an annual survey of analytics staffers around the league and I ask them a, a whole bunch of questions. But one question I always ask is like, which team is the most analytically advanced, do you think? And which team is the least analytically advanced? And Washington consistently comes up as one of the least analytically advanced organizations. They were voted, they, they got the second most number of votes for least analytically advanced last year. And so, uh, so only trailing the Titans. So uh, I do think they are behind the curve. And I think it's uh, a mistake for any organization uh, to, to be behind the curve. You are, you're falling behind for no reason. It's uncapped dollars when you are, when you are spending on quantitative analysis that does not come out of your salary cap. And so uh, it, it, uh, it's a big advantage for the teams that, that really actually 
utilize this. And you just can't do the kind of work that you need to be doing with one person, especially not once uh, player tracking came into the league, you know, six, six years ago or whatever. I mean, it's just not, it's just not feasible. You know, it's interesting to go to tie this in with the ownership stuff. We talk about, you know, if Dan Snyder does officially sell, who's going to buy it and what could that mean? Well, to, let's look at this one for an example. If Josh Harris, the, the, the NBA, the Philadelphia 76ers owner, who's the lead at this point in the non-Jeff Bezos category, it appears, if he were to buy the team, one thing to consider immediately is that the current GM of the 76ers is Daryl Morey, who is, you know... I don't know if he's the godfather of analytics, but he is like very, he's, you know, very, very high in that community, holds the, you know, runs the event every year, right? At, at MIT. Yeah. So you would think, I mean, assuming that Josh Harris is into what Daryl Moore has been doing. And right now the Sixers are in contention to, you know, be the top team in the East, that that might be something he looks at here and says, Hey, we need more of this. And that's the type of thing. It's not just who's the person going to hire as a coach or whatever. It's, setting the tone for all these things, including their analytics department. I think that's a really interesting point. I think that football has been in some sort of denial for a long time. Now, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to overstate this because there's a lot of people doing a lot of great analytical work, but I think there it's clear there's been more resistance in football to quantitative analysis than there has been in basketball or baseball. And I think it, to some degree, it does represent some denial because just look at what happened to baseball, right? I mean, they just changed the rules because what quantitative analysis told them was made the game like was too good, you know, like they had to like we had to change the change the shift because the shift was affecting the game too too much. I mean, and and basketball behind baseball and football behind basketball. To me, if you are an NFL team and you're looking at these other sports, how could you not think that this is where you're going. And so if you think that you got to grab these advantages while you can, I mean, the, the like baseball, these guys, they have much larger, larger departments fighting for much smaller edges. And in football, uh, the, the lower hanging fruit is still available. Um, all right. Well, let's talk about some of the actual uh, things that Washington has going for them, or perhaps going against them. One of the, one of the big questions is the quarter going to be the quarterback play. Needless to say, Carson Wentz didn't live up to whatever round of errors hopes were last year. And, and Taylor Heineke, you know, he always does a credible job and he brings a lot of energy and excitement, but he's limited in certain ways. And to some degree, the quarterback play obviously played a, a factor in Washington's um, inability to get past that 500 mark. Um, they bring in Jacoby Brissett. They have Sam Howell. I don't know what kind of data you, you could even have to, on Sam Howell based off of one start, unless we're just factoring college things. But with Jacoby Brissett, there's a body of work here, 48 career starts, 11 last year. Um, I think there's ways to look at it from the outside and think, hey, this is a an upgrade. He's got at least more of like a higher floor guy than the two that they just had. But at the same point, you know, Jacoby Brissett's on that spot starter backup level. What, what do you what do you see with that change and, and how could that boost Washington uh, this year? I like this signing quite a bit. I so I did our or I'm still doing, it's still ongoing, our our free agency grades um at ESPN.com. And I gave the Brissett signing an A minus. I mean, the way I see it for Washington is if you were not going to go all in for uh Rogers or Jackson, then the idea to me of bringing bringing in Brissett 
I like quite a bit because he played really well last year in Cleveland. And he was eighth in QBR, super efficient. He was accurate. His completion percentage over expectation was fourth best in the league uh, last season. To me, I think he is probably what you described, like a spot startery, bridge quarterback kind of guy. But I think with like some upside, is there some chance that the guy that what he showed, the efficiency efficiency he showed in Cleveland last year, represents? better play for someone who you know has had inconsistent playing time throughout his career and is starting to figure it out i think there's some chance yeah i think a guy like sam howell no i don't have a lot of data on him sort of intrigued you know the one the one start i mean like i don't know there could be something there the reason why i like it is the two things together in my view if you're a team like washington where you're just kind of in no man's land and you're searching for a quarterback and if you found one you would be in a pretty good place like to me i just want to be taking multiple shots per year and that's right. why i think that brissett and howell represent that it's multiple shots and and that to me is so much better than bringing in um andy dalton uh, it's so much better than i, I don't really believe in taylor heineke as a as an upside candidate so it's so much better to me than having heineke and Howell. so uh, by, by the way just for the people out there the heineke hive we're listening seth said that not me don't yell at me i'm just <laughs> kidding but like pe- people get passionate about taylor heineke but go ahead i'm kidding i i know i know uh so like so we've seen people have efficient seasons in cleveland i mean baker mayfield like just a couple of years ago um I mean, this time last year, I might have been saying this exact same thing about about Baker. And so, like, I fully recognize that. I just think that there's some chance of upside for Brissett. And so we might as well have these kind of two uh, two upside guys, especially when you're in, in a situation where you're drafting later. Uh, so, you know, you're just you're just probably not realistically going to have one of these first round first round picks in. Um yeah, I, but I shoot, like, I mean, if you're Washington, you could go for take a take a mid round guy too, if you if you if you want. Like, there's no limit on these sort of like cheap. They're all cheap, so why not? Right, and I I I I really like how you phrase it as the you're taking two shots. We we often t- tend to view it as starter backup, but really it's more of maybe lottery tickets not the right word, but like you know shot A, shot B versus QB one, QB two. And mm-hmm. that is the better way to look at it. And they're obviously going to hope, look, for them, if Sam Howell is the thing, that is the that is the best way to go because young, cheap, upside, still will be on a rookie contract for two years. We saw what Philly just did, having a quarterback on a rookie deal and how much they were able to get. So that would be great. Um, but to some degree, all of this is based on what they had, right? Because like I wrote a story the other day that, you can make the case easily that they have upgraded the quarterback position between going with Brissett being better than the, the two vets they had and how giving you some potential. On the other hand, it is still, when you look at it in the league wide, one of the least desirable quarterback situations in the league. And within its own division, I guess, you know, some people will quibble over where Daniel Jones is really at, but it is at, at the moment, I would say the worst quarterback situation in the division that last year all the other teams already made the playoffs is that how, how do you sort of square that if we look at it from like again Brissett could be at name minus I'm with you but they still maybe don't have a lot going on unless one of these guys actually hits 
I think both are true. Like they're absolutely not in a good position. I don't think right. anyone should be enviable, enviable of Washington. I'm just thinking about it from the perspective of, of where did we end the season? Okay. And now what what are the options available to us to improve our situation between now and then? And I feel like uh Howell Brissett is like pretty good among the available among the available options for them. And by the way, Brissett was like Cheap too. That was the other thing. He was probably a little cheaper than I thought. Like, let's just imagine a world where Owl has an amazing training camp and he's going to be the guy, and it's clear. Like, you have Brissett at like eight million for for your backup. Like, that's not even a bad contract as is for for one year and and maybe um, it was one year eight, right? Am I making yes. am I making that up? One right. Year so eight with, then, ups, with potential beyond that, yeah. With some incentive upside and and maybe it works out and maybe you get a comp pick for. I don't know. I'm just saying like. I try and evaluate these things of thinking like if I'm in the if I'm in their situation, you know, how do I do it? What I yeah, do I what I do I want to is it still bad? Is it still the four? Yeah, like you said, is it the worst quarterback situation in the NFC East? Um probably. Like long term, I wouldn't want to have married myself to Daniel Jones the way that the Giants did. I think that was an error, but like like in 2023, I would rather have the Giants situation than commanders, sure. Yeah. No, I hear. So, okay. So now a lot of this, it's not just an isolation. It's not about Jacoby Brissett or Sam Howell having to carry this offense. You have these other pieces. You've got two good running backs and Brian Robinson and Antonio Gibson. And good might be an understatement considering what Robinson did last year, coming off two gunshot wounds and uh, being a rookie to boot. Then at receiver, Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dodson, Curtis Samuel, uh, you can give us your analytics view on them, but in, you know, they're, they're obviously a pretty good, Trio. Now the offensive line's a mess. They're trying to adjust that. They've added some new players. I'll imagine they'll get more in the draft. So that's a, not a finished product. But in the context, I guess, of the rest of the offense, how much do you think that going from Wentz and Heineke to Brissett could actually elevate this team from the eight, eight, and one record to, you know, I don't know, another win or two, um, you know, putting health aside and things like that? Like I think it helps, but I'm not sure that you can bank on the defense being as good as it was last year. So it's like, I, I can, I can imagine them being eight, eight and one again, because their offense played better and their defense played a little worse, not because their defense, not because they don't still have like these good players on the defensive front, but just because like, like variance happens uh, on, on the defensive side from year to year. And so uh, I think, I think, yeah, I mean, like all else being equal. Yeah. I think, I think maybe, yeah, maybe you get another win and yeah, I think maybe they're, I could see them getting their line. Yeah. In a better place. I really like Andrew Wiley. Um, Mm -hmm. I know that I think he's a guy that doesn't get a lot of respect. uh, But if you look at our, our pass block win rate numbers from him, I mean, they're good, like really good. And I think to some degree, I think when you are blocking for Patrick Mahomes, things can look worse than they than they are. Yes and no on that because he's great at at avoiding sacks, but he, he holds the ball a little bit longer. It takes these really deep uh, deep dropbacks, and ultimately, when we measure it, so we're looking at does a player sustain his block for two and a half seconds. Wiley grades out really well, or he did last year, I should say, in terms of in terms of pass blocking. And that's what you got to care about the most. So 
uh, 8 million for Wiley. It wasn't like exceptionally cheap. And there are definitely some decent, you know, it's kind of a bunch of decent right tackles that were, were out there this year. But I, I think that's, I think that's good. I mean, that's like stabilize your stabilizing your situation. I think, I think that's good. The Nick Gates signing is not, I do not feel the same about, um, they paid some, <laughs> okay. uh, paid some like actually real money for him. Like not, not like a massive amount, but I think like eight, 8 million guaranteed maybe, um, for a guy who I was looking at his numbers. It's like, it's, it's sort of funny. Like last year he played a little guard, little, little center. Right. Um, and if you just look at his center numbers last year, they were actually excellent, but we're talking 125 snaps. I mean, and his guard numbers weren't good. And when he played like a full season of center, which was granted two years ago, uh, his numbers were really bad. So uh, I guess if you like truly believed in that tiny sample and, and I haven't gone through it and like watched those plays, I'm just saying like, then, then maybe you could feel like this, uh, this is someone who's like really developing, but uh, the, you know, that's like, it's not, it's not, if it does, if it goes south, it's not that bad. It's it's eight million dollars, but it's just more than I would have guessed that he would have gotten. Yeah, I, I think that's going to be a fascinating deal because their center situation has been a mess the last two years with injuries. They've had four different centers in each of the each of the last two years. Even with Gates, you have Gates, you have Chase Ruye, you have Tyler Larson. We'll see mm-hmm. what what they do with Ruye's contract. Um, but the, there's still questions at guard as well, and uh, it sounds like Gates would play center. But that's what I was going to ask you. Do you feel like Gates is going to play center? He said that to us the other day, and all the other players that we talked to, all these new guys, were all pretty cautious about <laughs> saying where they will or won't play because, you know, I'm sure they got told. But he seemed to say the Hill teams will play center. But that would, in my head, infer either Rie is not back or I don't know. So I think Rie would be a mm-hmm. pay cut if he comes back. Um, but we'll see um, about about that. Um, just to stay with the line. And I don't have the numbers last year in front of me, but I feel like with when I was, whenever I would see Charles Leno, when you would show the tackles and the various categories that you guys graded yeah. the tackles, he seemed to always be fairly high up. But when we watch him play, just sort of to the eye test, he's fine. Yeah. He's their best lineman. But you know, I guess we're used to we have this lineage here in Washington of from Joe Jacoby to Jim Lachey to Chris Samuel to Trent Williams. Charles Leno is fine, but it doesn't feel like he's there. He also has like a $12 million cap hit this year with they would save 8 million if they released him. Now there's no way they're releasing him except I wonder if say in the first round, they were to take a tackle. Um, Mm. Maybe that would be stupid. So I'm just wondering from your perspective, like is Charles Leno a pretty good value for where they, where they have him? So we have him as last year, we, he ranked 22nd in pass block win rate, which is uh, the measure I I mentioned earlier. We, the goal is to sustain your block for two and a half seconds um, and then sort of average uh, in, in the run game. To me, there, I'm going to pull this contract while I, while I talk with you. I think to me, like there is real value in, in having a decent, in having like not a weakness at, at tackle, right? And it's something like I would, I would pay for. And I think that it's like, doesn't have to be um, right. So you're, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sort of like not. Yeah. Right. Okay. I'm looking at his contract now. Um, Like to me, I would, I would pay that price to keep him and all else being equal. I think 
so many things go wrong when you when you don't have strong tackle play. I think Cincinnati's been like a pretty yeah a pretty clear example of that. Uh, and I think like last year, Burrow actually like got better at like avoiding sacks and some stuff. And they they still just had a, a bad offensive line. But even sacks aside, like it really impacts the way you run your offense. Uh, and so to me, it's like it is a little bit of a, like a weak link thing. You really don't want to have either of your of your tackles be like a, a huge liability. And so I would I would pay this that kind of money for someone um, to be. Oh, and he has three, he has some guaranteed money, uh, in that, in that salary. Right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, so I really wouldn't want to really wouldn't want to cut him and roll the dice. I don't think, uh, because you just, you just gotta have like decent, decent tackles. You mentioned like, doesn't always look, doesn't always look pretty. Um, like would have to like go back and watch more. I think like a lot of times it's like what we're measuring is there is a difference in like what I think of like aesthetic offensive line play and what we're measuring and all we're sort of asking with the pass block winery is did you keep the guy in front of you for two and a half seconds right and we don't it's not that it's not we don't care it's like the what the what the what the little dots see is all that's all that all that cares but to some degree i think that that is kind of what matters right like however however it looks if you can just give your quarterback just enough time um, and that's not like crazy good, you know, 22nd. That's, that's, that's fine. Um, okay. but it's still solid. All right. Uh, that's my take. Ask, all right. I'll, I'll take it. Uh, let me ask you about the other side of the ball before I let you go. Obviously Washington, Washington's big move this off season was keeping Duran Payne based on what he did last year, independent of everything else. You, you totally get it. Career high, 11 and a half sacks. He was way up there and almost all the very, the basic stats, you know, uh, combination of sacks, tackles for loss, pressures, things like that. Then you compare, combine him with John Allen, and that's a really, you know, devastating tandem inside. But he just got paid huge money for for that, and John Allen had just gotten paid huge money before that. And the general sense is teams don't look to spend a ton of money on two tackles. They would prefer to spend it on the edge rushers, and Washington will have some decisions upcoming with Montez Sweat and Chase Young. Um, so I guess just from your perspective, what do you make of keeping Deron Payne, but also keeping him at that money and, you know, in totality of what Washington has going on? I think the contract was a mistake. It, to me, they didn't need to do it. And that's the key. You mentioned he's all coming off of a career year, 11 and a half sacks. He's gotten to double digit sacks once in five, five years, right? Right once in five years it was last year but it's still once in five years i you had to me it's like that's not horrendous horrendous contract in maybe in the open market but you had the option to just keep him on the tag and get another year and see and yeah okay if he does it again if it really works out you're gonna pay up you're gonna pay up more for it but man, I would want to be guarding against the downside risk. I mean, I would be looking at that Leonard Williams contract, who was coming, who did, which was paid off of an eleven and a half sack season, exactly the same as Payne. Right? It was the only time he'd done it, and was you know a sort of immediately a terrible contract. I think Payne is a better player than Leonard Williams. I think Payne now is a better player than Leonard Williams was then. We have Matt. He was 13th in pass rush win rate, so at, among defensive tackles, which is good, but there is like 
in defensive tackles, there's like a big stretch between the sort of like elite and the and the good. Right. That's a there's a huge gap between Payne and Chris Jones, a huge gap. Um, and I think there's also a gap between Payne and the um, Javon Hargraves, the Draymond Joneses, the Quinton Williams, the Dexter Lawrence. So like to me, I think he was a very good player last year. Um, definitely productive, definitely helped Washington, definitely a key to their defense. I just would want to see him do it again before. And, and you, when you have the choice, that's the thing. That's the thing that kills me about the decision is you had the option to, you had the, where to see without the risk and they, and they passed on that. So it's a pricey, you know, it's an expensive deal. Sometimes you have to pay off for guys, but you just didn't have to in this case. And that's why I think it's an error. Yeah, for sure. And that's, and I totally get where you're coming from. You know, I think from their perspective, obviously, if he's on the tag, then all that, you know, money is in one year. And I think this way, his tag, his cap hit this year is about 10 million bucks less. And that money, to some degree, allowed them to get Jacoby Brissett. Um, so that's like part of their game. But yeah, yeah you're right. I mean, it, it, it's it, it's it, the, the idea of paying somebody off of the career year is definitely a bit risky. Plus, in their case, you already have John Allen and you have Montez Sweat and Chase Young, who you know, or guys you may want to keep as well at a little more premium positions. Um, speaking of that, wait, can, Casey, I, can I, can I say one thing on that? Cause I think it. that's such a silly way to think about if they're, if that's what they're thinking, like, Oh yeah, we got to take the whole cap hit in this year. Yeah. But you're guaranteeing them. Was it 46 or 55? I'm, I'm a little unclear. He has 60 the... million guaranteed 46 in the first two years. 46 in the first two years. Okay. So, but like that 46 million is going to be on the, is going to be on the cap no matter what at some point. And if he's, and if he's not good next year, like you're still paying him 40, that 46 is still coming. And so I, I would just be working hard to limit that like total number as opposed to worrying so much about, yeah, I know it's a higher cap hit right now, but the overall risk is so much lower. Sorry, go ahead. No, 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 you're good. Uh, let me ask you a Chase Young question. Mm. So one one interesting thought for Washington here over the next couple of weeks is go, or a few weeks will be, do they pick up his fifth-year option? You would have thought it would be a, no, a relative no-brainer, but look, he's obviously had the injury that cost him a lot of time uh, since the injury in 2021. He's not been particularly productive. He only had, I think I want to say, one and a half sacks in his last 12 games, most of which were in that 2021 season. But the number two pick of the draft in 2020, um, all these things, the 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 fifth year option for him is going to be 17.4 million. So they would be paying Allen 18 million on average, paying uh, 22.5 million on average, then him, and then Chase uh, Montez Sweat next year. Either you're paying him or you're using the tag, or unless he leaves, that's also big money. So from your view with the analytics, how do you look at Chase Young? Because obviously the potential is there, but the numbers, other than whatever he did as a rookie, which is, you know, feels like forever ago at this point, doesn't really equate to a guy that you should be paying $17 million to. Yeah. What a, you know what? I really haven't thought about this one. It's a really, it's a tough one. I think it's, it's interesting. My gut, my gut says pay him because yeah, it feels like forever ago agreed. But I think here's what I think, even though the sacks weren't there in 2021 mm -hmm. um to me the, the the win rate was um so we had a 19 percent pass rush win rate it's above average 
Uh, it's not quite what he was at 22 and a half, which uh, in his rookie year, which is kind of like, that's like a top 10 kind of number. Um, 19 is going to be without looking that's sort of a, in the 10 to twenties, but like to me, sacks are, I spent, a, I spent a, 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 an odd amount of time looking at sacks and trying to <laughs> forecast sacks and like they are, uh, you know, it's a, it's a finicky step, right? I think there's a lot that goes into it beyond just your own pass rushing ability. Uh, there's a lot of circumstance. There's a lot of luck. And that one of the reasons why I like to rely on the win rates is because they are, they're play to play level. And so to me, what that says is, yeah, he was winning consistently, uh, on a play-to-play level in 2021 at a pretty high level, at a pretty high level, not, not crazy. 2020 was good. Now we didn't see that in the couple of games that he played last year, right? but I'm, you know, I'm not going to, it's just like tiny sample off the injury. I, I wouldn't. Yeah. There was, he has, there was some oh, trepidation coming off the injury, which we all can probably understand on a human sure. level and, and it was yeah. end of the year and all that stuff. So. So I just, to me, I just have to think that like the upside, the potential of him being like a game-changing pass rusher is still there because it's not like we're, it's not like we're just going off the draft pick or what we thought. Like we've, we've seen him be really good in the NFL. And so that, that gives me like enough confidence that I would, I would, I would, I would do it. All right. Uh, I told you right before we started that I was in the middle of a mock draft with my writers at the athletic I assume you look at the draft as well with uh, with with your uh, with your numbers. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, like yeah. I, I, yeah, I was just going to ask you who is somebody for you. Obviously, we know Bryce Young's going to go high or Will Anderson. Who's for you? Just is there somebody like just one? Somebody you just look at the numbers like, wow, this person is being way undervalued by the world out there. Not yet. Like, like yeah. I honestly don't shift my attention to the draft uh, really at all until until free agency. So come back to me in late April and I'll give all you right. a name. deal. Uh, we, we will. And we're going to follow you on Twitter. If you don't already at Seth Walder uh, does a great job. Obviously you can tell uh, this isn't your average bear when it comes to understanding what is happening out there. So give him a follow read his stuff on ESPN. Uh, Seth, I appreciate it. We're going to uh, take your data. We're going to, we're going to put it in our firm really here and see how Washington can, I don't know. Get out of it. You, you, don't, you don't have uh, analytics on the owner. Do you? Do you can you can you explain <laughs> how, how many more wins they'll get if Dan Snyder is no longer the owner? Do you have those numbers? Uh, no, that's going to be uh, that's going to be a, another another few iterations of football analytics before <laughs> we get there. That would be amazing if you got had owner stats somehow. Like that would be uh, that would be amazing. <laughs> that's funny. All right. Well, Seth, I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thank you.